Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Should we just get started and then, and then figure this out, which is basically how life is anyway? Sure. Except you can't, so, figure, uh, you can't figure out life. What's that? You can't figure out life. <laughs> Nobody knows. That's something I say way too often, I think. Yeah. So welcome to Gross Anatomy, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture, movies, TV, the world around us, and a whole lot of extra Michigas. Uh, and I am Dr. Jason Cohen, and my co-host is... Lauren Taylor. Hi. And today, we are... I am. I'm very, very excited to be joined by... And I'm gonna, And I'm going to leave a blank and ask you to tell me who we're joined by, because I do not um, know how to address you. Do I address you as Dr. Shem? Shem? Do I address you as Dr... Bergman or uh, easy Shem. Yeah. Is that yeah. what you go by in the real world as well, or only in your uh, writing? I'm world? Making, a, making a great uh, effort. Uh, I had a kind of a moment when I was in uh, Australia on tour and I, it's a long story, but I thought, Hey, Dylan only uses Dylan. Right. You know, and he's, and you know, and, and then I got on a, a radio show. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next day after he got the Nobel Prize and the guy was a Dylan fan. This is in uh, Australia. Yeah. And I said, he's my favorite, you know, and I recited a lyric uh, of one of the uh, opaque ones. <clears throat> and uh, and he said, well, you know, I'm so glad to have you here because you're the Dylan of medicine. Nice. And I took that as the greatest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So every, every, I said, let's not fuck around anymore. You know. There you go. Shem, just Shem. Nobody else there has Shem. Go. Okay, call um, me Shem. It's nice. It has a ring. Nice. Um, do your friends and family call you Shem? No. no. <laughs> well, friends, yeah, no, friends do. Friends do. Do they? Yeah, my wife right. would not do that. Right. Um, how did you come up? Anything, you know. Yeah. Schmendrick, maybe. No. How did they come up with Shem? How did you come up with Shem, I mean? Is it a Hebrew thing or no? Because Shem uh, is a name. Yeah, sort of. It's a, it's a bunch of stuff. I made a mistake in a way because I was just finishing my psychiatric training. And uh, they warned me, oh, you can't write this crazy book. It's House of God. It's sexy and it's blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, and uh, uh, and so uh, they said, maybe you should take a pseudonym, write it under a pseudonym. So uh, they said, oh, you know, your patients will all hear this and they'll, you know, you don't want them doing that. So guess what? I took the name and they all found out. <laughs> they, they did? They, they didn't give a crap. You know, they yeah. wanted to talk about their mother, their boyfriend. So uh, in taking the name, uh, I was kind of smart in a way there. Uh, Shem in Hebrew means name. So right. If you're taking a pen name, that's a name. Mm-hmm. Name, and then uh, Samuel happened to be my my uh, grandfather's name, whom I liked. And uh, the uh, Shem is also because of the literary part. Uh, nobody really knows this because in Finnegan's Wake, the unreadable, uh, there are two sons, and one son of Finnegan is Shem, the penman. And he's mm. a writer, the literate, and the other is a, and, and Sean, who's a profligate, drunken Irishman. <laughs> so Shem was, that's why, that's a too long an answer for you. No. It's, it's perfect. So I, I am thrilled. You know, I, I was so excited um, for many reasons to see that A, there was this new, new book of yours. Yeah. Um, but just to, I, I was honored and shocked and, and so excited when the author of House of God said, sure, I'll, I'll uh, come on your pod. I was thrilled because Good. I think like, and so thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And like, uh, I don't know if it's a general, I don't know if the kids today have read House of God, but I, I certainly know at least up to my age, I'm, I'm 50, um, for sure pretty much everybody up to my age and maybe a little younger, definitely, it was like required reading almost. It was like, you do gross anatomy, da, 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 and you read House of God, right? Oh, well, uh, I can reassure you, um, they all read it. Yeah, even That's, still. They, they all read it, yes. Uh, 
I uh, teach a seminar at NYU Medical School. Uh, I've been there six years, and I want to talk about that because that's the way I was able to get back in medicine and write the sequel, Mansworth Best Hospital. Right. And uh, I got a call. I was just being a writer. I wasn't doing any medicine for a while. And uh, the guy, a guy called me and said, hey, how'd you like to be a professor at NYU Medical School? And I said, why? Why would I do Who that? Who called I, you? I lived in Boston. Who was it? It's uh, Steve Abramson is his name. I don't know if you okay. know him. Bob Grossman is, is, is the head of the place. He's okay. Both, both friends. Um, how'd you like to uh, be a professor in medical humanities and medicine at NYU Med? And I said, well, why would I want to do that? I'm happy, you know? Yeah. And uh, he said, well, uh, we want you to teach. And I said, what do you want me to teach? And I said, and they said, dummy, we want you to teach the house of God. Wow. Now you've got to understand. Yeah. The person who Harvard Medical School hated the most in 1978 <laughs> on was Shem for the house yeah. of God. They, they were nasty. They did all kinds of really bad stuff to me. Tried to, you know, I was on the, I was on the faculty, but I used, you know, the Beth Israel. And so uh, I was, I was kind of interested that they wanted that. And so I said, yes. And, uh, it turned, and, and, and uh, I, I, they wanted me to teach a seminar in the House of God, and I've been doing that for six years. And I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's six sessions. We just go through the book. Yeah. And, um, and 90 minutes each now, 90 minutes each, with no breaks. And I don't think in the six years, I mean, you can hear a pin drop. I don't think in the six years anybody's gone to the bathroom. <laughs> they all have Foley's in. They're sitting there, and they're all of a sudden they're re- seeing. You know, some of them have read it already. Yeah, they, but to hear me talk about it, you know. So, I'll, I'll just uh, let me uh, back you up for a sec. So, w- one thing I do is um, at, at the hospital where I work, I, I have this. I'm a private practice doc, but I have a side gig that um, I run the pre med program at the hospital. Oh, I, I get paid by the hospital to run the pre med program. Good. Um, so one of the things we do every, unfortunately, it's shut down now due to Corona. We, we had to shut it down due to COVID, but we've been doing it for years. Uh-huh. Um, but, but one of the things we do every week on Wednesday, which is why we do the, our podcast on Wednesday, it's typically we do our podcast after every Wednesday from four to six, the students come in and we often has, have a guest doctor come in and it's doctors of all different levels, of all different stages in their careers. And I basically interview them. So. If you don't mind, I would love to back you up and find out about who you were in high school. If, if that's like, were you a science kid? Were you a, a humanities kid? Were you a writer? Were you like, because you're, and then I want to find out with that, do you consider yourself a doctor who writes or a writer who's a doctor? That, that's part two of it, but. Okay. All right. Fine. So where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a little town on the Hudson River called Hudson, New York which is 120 miles north of New York City. Uh, My father was a dentist. He always wanted to be a doctor, but the Jewish uh, quota in New York, he couldn't do it. So so he ended up in uh, this little town just by chance. Uh, Hudson? Hudson, New York, yeah. Up the Palisades Parkway? It's no. 100, 128 miles. It's on the other side of the river. Not the, you, go, you go up, uh, I forget. I forget what you go up. Okay. 17, not 17. No, no. no. It's, okay. it's, uh, it's, you know, the, the Wick, Rip Van Winkle Bridge crosses from Green County to, to Columbia County and Hudson okay. is the seat of Columbia County. Okay. So um, I grew up there, uh, uh, kind of miserable education. I'd never heard of Shakespeare all the way through, even in Harvard. In, uh, public school. High school. Public school. I was only yeah. one school. Uh-huh. It was an anti-Semitic town, big-time anti-Semitic town. I used to get beaten up a lot. Really? Feared for my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really – I thought that was normal, you know. But I used to have to run – I was a good athlete. And I used to if, – if we won against the team that hated Jews, yeah. a lot of them, I'd have to zip through the, the dressing room and run up the street with them. I'll tell That's you one, one wonderful story from high school that I just have figured out now after all these years. What I noticed is that in every novel I write, and there are now six, seven, eight, I don't know how many, 
um, most about medicine. But uh, in almost every novel, the black people are beloved characters. I haven't written anybody who's at all a villain. I, I just love them when I write about them. And then it right. clicked, it yeah. clicked about, about two weeks ago. And I remembered, I was a good athlete. What sport? Uh, sorry? Which was, what was your sport? Well, I was, uh, you know, captain of the basketball team, captain of the tennis team, captain of the, captain of the As a Jew. Soccer, soccer team. Yeah. Well, that was the only way you could succeed is if right. you, you had, you know, you had to, it was the kind of place where you had to hide your intelligence. Right. Being Jewish is bad. Being smart is bad. Yeah. 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 Um, so I was the first uh, sophomore to make varsity. In the high school, I was so excited because I was a really good shot. And so uh, I started the season, and then one day at practice, I came in and I, I had broken my thumb. The, mm. My thumb was broken. I had a little cast on it, a hairline fracture, you know. <clears throat> and the and the guys, you know, three three big tall black guys who really knew how to play basketball. Um, they uh, said, "What's the matter, man?" I said, "Well." They broke my thumb. He said, who broke your thumb? And I told him the story about how I have to run out of the gyms because they're chasing me. You know, the Italians mostly. So wow. Robert, Robert Van Ness looked at Chick Chick Hughes and looked at Butchie Irwin. Butchie Lee Irwin. You get it. These big yeah. guys I'm looking up. And this changed my life as a sophomore. They said, well, nobody's going to beat you again. Wow. And they were the tough guys. And they got the word out. And nobody ever put a finger on me. I love them. That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing That's, story? Yeah. yeah. Did you ever stay in touch with those guys? You got to understand, you're talking to a different uh, generation. Yeah. Lee Irwin, who was a great basketball player, got a full scholarship to Ryder College or something, dead on drugs under a bridge in Albany. Wow. Robert Vaness, I don't know, dead too. And, uh, you know, they, they went crazy. Well, they literally were crazy or they died. Uh, right. It was a rough town. Right. But um, that was, so anyway, I, um, I didn't know where to go to college. Um, fact, were you interested in school scholastically? Were, did you have an interest in high school or? Well, I, I don't know. I guess I was reading scientific American at that time in, in high school. So I guess right. I did science. Yeah, I liked everything, but you know, I love to read. And the right. only, only good teacher I had was an English teacher. He was really quite good. You have to understand, in my school, uh, you know, I, and I went to Harvard from there. In this, my school, I never heard the word Aristotle. I never heard the word, I heard Shakespeare, but I never yeah. heard, you know, about even about the Holocaust. I knew not, nothing. They taught nothing. Wow. <laughs> I mean... And my father, so my, you know, my father asked me at one point, where do you want to go to school? And I said, uh, West Point. Because <laughs> one of the basketball players went to West Point, you know. He was, okay. And uh, he said, you can't go to West Point. This is the only good thing my father ever told me. Yeah. He told me something. If I did the opposite, it was up. It was good. Right. Yeah. Said, but this one was good. He said, why can't I? Why can't I go to West Point? He said, "Jews don't join the army." <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, you would have written definitely some kind of different books had you gone to West Point. I think. I think a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know really why they took me at Harvard. I I don't know. I, I just did everything in this school. You know, I was everything. And, and you applied there on a whim, like, hey, let me see if I can get into Harvard kind of thing? Well, he said, he said you can't go to West Point. Jews don't do He said, where, is your, where, where do you want to go? I said, I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody had ever gone to, right. to West Point from Harvard. I mean, to uh, Harvard. So he said, what's the best school? I said, Harvard. He said, okay, you apply there. What's the second best? Yeah, okay, so you apply there. And your safety school and, you know, the, the state system, New York State. Right. Which and is then, where I went. Did you? Yeah. I went to SUNY. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I'm going on too far too long with this. But um, um, as I was leaving, you know, and I was sort of scared to go to Harvard because, you know, I didn't think I was that smart. I thought it was kind of stupid, actually. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, my father said, well, I want you to know that if we hadn't, if, if we hadn't come 
up from New York to uh, to live in Hudson, you never would have gotten in. <laughs> He's saying you're just going for geographic distribution. What a right. guy! <laughs> he really made you feel good. Yeah. Well, it was good because I really thought I was pretty stupid. Turned out Harvard isn't. You know, I was okay. I did okay. I did. You know, I I uh, I loved it because I I I just loved it because I I, ne- I didn't know anything. Yeah. I didn't know anything. So, so that's sort of the story, but athletics was really important to me. I got a road scholarship in, in, uh, from Harvard that, that changed my life. That absolutely changed my life because I always wanted to be something creative like writing or painting or something, but I was never encouraged. But, uh, when I got the roads, uh, to go to Oxford for, uh, three years, actually, in 1966, mind you, mm. late 60s. I mean, my person and my writing, yeah, absolutely framed because of, of growing up in the 60s and 70s. I mean, I'll just chip, uh, you know, skip to the chase. What I've realized, not first, <clears throat> but after all these, what I've realized is number one, to um, to bring attention to injustice, and number two, the danger of isolation and the healing power of good connection. That's all I've been doing, like forever. And uh, so, you know, I I write what I I made. I wrote one essay in in a medical journal. I think I forget what it was, Annals, you know, and it's called Fiction as Resistance. It's it's, it's the only nonfiction I've ever really written. that's why I do it. And it's all because of that. Because when I got to Oxford, I mean, it, it was it was hard to get a Rhodes Scholarship, you know. What, do you, what did you have to I have no idea. What did you have to do to get that scholarship? Well, they only give 32 in the United States, you know. What you do you have, have to, to submit? What do you have to do? What, why do they give it to you? Well, in those yeah. days, they were all, it was all for men. Now it's for women and men. But in those days, it was all for men. And uh, it was hard to, the only, you know, academics, but they also liked uh, athletes because Rhodes, when he, uh, Cecil Rhodes, had a good idea, actually. He had just come out of the Boer War and he saw horrible, horrible, horrible deaths and people from different nations, you know, just just causing it. So he said, he, 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 he got a bad rap, but there were some good things about it. One of the things he said, I'm going to make a scholarship with all my money from gold and diamonds and try to get people from all over Europe and the British Empire and America to come together at a sensitive age so they get to know the other countries. And this won't happen. It's really great. And it sort of worked, actually. You can't help but, you know, I had never been, I had never been out of the United States. Right. Ever. Right. And it was a total, total, I mean, to make a long story short, you know, the four, uh, the four assassinations, you know, the Vietnam War, people getting killed, you know, riots all over all of the European countries, as well as the United States. And I saw it from a new view. Yeah. Europe. Yeah. Europe, you know. Anyway, so that's when I started writing. I was in a PhD program and I kind of so, finally finished that. But So at Har- when you were at Harvard, you weren't writing? Um, well, it's interesting because I didn't really, I don't remember this. Every, it, Harvard publishes. And part of, why I'm at, part of why I'm asking you this is I'm incredibly envious yes. because I want to write as well. But I, I, you know, I'm stuck doing all this other crap and I can't light that fire under me. So I'm, I'm trying to find out your secret, your recipe, how you do it, when you did it and all of that. Okay. Okay. This will be, this, I'm, this is a good story to, to tell you. At some point, I'd love to w- talk about man's fourth best hospital because I got to sell I promise. <laughs> I promise I want to talk about it. All right. Okay. <laughs> I actually you, read it. You did? Oh, yeah. And you're yeah. still my friend. Of course. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is this week, our office, uh, we're a private practice group. Our office is doing its training and we're going live on epic on monday so i'm reading your book and i'm and i'm saying to myself 
this is, you know, what a coincidence. This is crazy. It is coincidence. You got to sell yeah. books to every one of them because um, I can talk a lot. I mean, we'll get to it and how I yeah. got to, you know, I was out of medicine and, and I had an absolute fresh look at it. Yeah. When I got that, an offer for, from NYU. It hadn't been in it. And I said, oh my God. Yeah. Like I said with the House of God. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here, here's the, yeah. We'll talk about, I'll get to that. Just remind me if I forget okay. about writing. Because I have had to, I have had, I have had to do what you want to do. To yeah. Um, um, so in the, in the freshman yearbook, when you come into Harvard, everybody puts down the thousand guys. They put down, uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And for some reason, I put down writer. I didn't even know why. I said, I want to be a writer. I don't know. Yeah. And to everybody the first uh, year had to take a, uh, a writing class in small groups. Everybody had to take it, you know, mm -hmm. taught by uh, 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 graduate students. So I wanted to be a writer. She handed me the, she did the assignment, wrote it, worked like crazy on this, handed it in, came, came back to me, not a mark on it. What? Then I look in the corner, the last page, a little red letter, see me. Ah, she wants to congratulate me. <laughs> I yeah. walk in, this is everywhere this is true. I walk in, she was a graduate student, Miss Heller, name was, I remember. And she said, and this is the first feedback from this, institution that I feel like a little worm that got, you know, admitted yeah. by geographical distribution. She said, this paper is too terrible to mark. It's below F. Wow. 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 <laughs> wow. And uh, then she tried, you know, it went on like that as she tried to tell me what to do. I couldn't do. So fast forward to golf season, my freshman year as a golfer. So I was on a golf team. <laughs> So yeah. on the golf team with a guy named Ray. I was having a little match with him. I'm going to interrupt. Is that kind of the character in Man's Fourth? Um, the the guy who was trying to write? Is that kind of a little bit based on it a little bit or not really? Uh, yes. Yes. There's part of that in there. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Was, Cut. But, you know, you, you make amalgams when you write. And right. That part where uh, the guy... Uh, calls uh, Roy or me, uh, you're just a dilettante because you have a doctor, yeah. you know. Right. But like, I wanted to punch that son of a bitch, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm on the course with with uh, Roy. I don't know what was his name. Uh, I can't remember his, his name. Anyway, call him Joe. I'm on the course with Joe, and we're having a little friendly match. And he says, "Well, I'm in that section with her, you know, or, or in another section that she she does." And I'm I'm getting a straight A. Now this guy, he was from from Florida. He was a swimmer. He had blonde hair. Yeah, surfer. Yeah. He was stupid. He was re he was re I really knew he was stupid. He couldn't even talk. Let alone. <laughs> I said, "You, you're getting an A from the same teacher." Me? He said, "Yeah." I said, "Why well, are you doing that?" He said, "I've been sleeping with her all year." <laughs> right. So that that is very much like that uh, the the military guy. I love that. That's I guess great. I did. I guess I did put that. It's hard to remember. I get confused of reality. And yeah, yeah, it was. That's right. I used it. It was too good not to use. I've never used it, but, I, but yeah. that was true. Um, That's great. So uh, here's the thing. So I, I, I really want to be a writer. Oh, I know what. This is. I never wrote another creative word at Harvard. I said, huh, you know, she knows what she's talking about. Okay. Wow. And I did. You know. I did kind of science and, and the pre-med and, and social and psychiatry, psychology and all that stuff. I got this scholarship and I got there and I said, well, she can't get me now. <laughs> I'm 3000 miles away, you know? Yeah. So I started. Yeah. And this is the lesson for you. Um, you know, I was doing a, a DPhil program a phd program in uh, physiology and i kept on doing that for a while i won't go into how i dropped it finally although i finally got in oxford in oxford yeah i finally got the degree but I, I didn't do anything with it i had to do it but anyway um 
And so I wanted to be a writer. I started writing plays and short stories. I hadn't tried to publish anything, but I loved it. I really loved it. We got a little cottage out in the, in the uh, Cotswolds and stuff. And it was a great, it was a great time. I grew up in, in, uh, in Oxford for three years. It was because it was this incredible violence, you know, uh, demonstrations in every capital. I mean, so you, I saw America from European eyes, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, third year, my thing was getting, my uh, scholarship was going away. And I had had a false alarm with uh, my draft board in this little town, Hudson. They had gotten it wrong. They didn't know it, but it was getting close. And some people were getting, a lot of people were, were getting drafted. And so Me I- not. Yeah. And so I had a very simple, simple uh, choice. Vietnam or Harvard Med. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And here's the important part for you, because you've already done it. You've already yeah. done it. I realized, and then I had a second thought. I said, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to write for money because then I would wind up not writing what I really thought was important. Which yeah. Is a hard thing. And I needed a steady job right and the great thing you know this the great thing about medicine it's so big you can find something if you like right. molecules you do molecules if you like countries you do countries you know it's amazing yeah. so yeah. i went to harvard med but the whole the whole feel was well how can i keep writing at harvard med and and luckily you know i've been just so fortunate in my life you know luckily there was no no uh, preclinical grades. I said, fuck it. You know, I didn't even, and every, and every idiot could pass the test. So, uh, I just got drunk and sat around and was wild and all that stuff and started to write. And I during med school. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wrote pretty much every day. I didn't go to stuff, you know, you know, everybody gripes about anatomy. Well, you yeah. need to know it sort of because you're a surgeon. I went to the first day of anatomy first year. Uh, I was with a partner we're supposed to dissect the, uh, what is this, the axillary, the, uh, what's it called? Axilla, yeah. Brachial plexus. Brachial plexus. Yeah. So I wasn't touching this. And my, my guy who, who became a surgeon starts cutting away and he can't find it. So <laughs> I can't find it. Okay. Yeah. So he calls over this little Englishman who's the guy who's teaching. You know, they're always Englishmen, those guys. And he says, uh, I can't find the brachial plexus. And uh, I said, well, maybe he didn't have one. And, but as he had an arm, so it's obvious he had one. And so the guy says, let me see. And he walks in, poodles, poodles around a little bit. And, and he says, um, you stupid bastard. He said, you chopped it up into linguine. <laughs> <laughs> I left and I never came back because all I had wow. to do was do the test. You know, Nice. You know, I was drinking a lot in those days, and it all seemed to make sense. <laughs> but, but, and then the last thing I'll say about how it's a lesson for you once again. Okay, I'm going to be a doctor, but what am I? How, what's going to give me time to to write? And right. I say this to you: I wanted to be a surgeon. I love surgery, but I thought and thought: Has there ever been a surgeon that I know in history who has had the time to write? novels long novels that are good not right. great, you know yeah so I, I couldn't do that and then finally i saw psychiatry which i had took a month of psychiatry hey wait a second you hear stories that's good you learn about characters that's good and i don't have to see anybody till after lunch yeah <laughs> and that's what yeah. happened i did that for yeah. 20 years you know i my uncle the only doctor that i grew up with was my uncle who's a psychiatrist um so I always thought I might have done psychiatry. But then when I did my psychiatry rotation, I kind of felt I was going crazy a little bit. And, and I, you know, everything was happening. It just all became about me being, having these things. And I said, <laughs> I, I'm going to go, I, I can't do it. Yeah. And, and that was, I actually thought going in that because of my uncle, I might do psychiatry. But I realized yeah. I would have gone nuts, I think. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying to you. Um, yeah as an ancient guy who's just recovered from uh, the virus, actually. Right, that's right. I saw what you morphed into. I'm finally, finally good. I'm finally good. We were lucky. Thank God. But, um, you know, what, what, 
I mean, you can you can find a, a way to write if you really want to. There's there's no yeah. question about that. Uh, and you you know, as a surgeon, I mean, I mean, you have you know, one week of your life is like two books, you know, probably. I mean, you know what's going to be a great book at some point uh, is uh, Doctors and the Corona. Yeah. So uh, if you want to do it, you'll do it. You know? Yeah. I, I've, I've dabbled from time to time. Lauren and I were trying to work on something. Yeah, we're trying to work on a, a script. But do you think the key to good writing is just you just write every day? Like, was anyone teaching you or looking over your stuff? How did you become better? You just kept writing every day? Um, yeah, you have to like doing it. You know, you really have to like doing it. And I do. I really yeah. do. Because I, I love creating things that matter. Um, every, every, most writers, you know, you, you, you have a, you get into a, a rhythm of doing something like, you know, I'm just starting another book and I, what you learn, you have to learn about what gets in your way of writing and you have to accept sometimes when you're not quite ready. So I'm saying, Oh, I got to start this book. I started, and I started a little bit, of, and then I, this whole week I've shied away because I know from my pattern, that's the way it works. I do some, and then I say, this is a piece of shit. And I go and I, mm-hmm. Do the gardening or something, and then so you have to know when it's pro, when it's when you're ready, and when it's not. The the you really learn a lot when you get first published w- with an editor because the editor really can help you. You know, right. they, you know. So uh, have you been working with like the same editor for a long time, or do you? Well, now they're dead, so oh. I, got, I got a new one. I'll tell you what, you, you got to be tough too. This is a, you got to be tough to write. Okay. Yeah. This is another story. Okay. I was doing, I think my second novel and I was having some trouble, maybe my third novel. I don't know what it was with this same editor named Joyce Engelson. May she rest in peace. And she was a good editor. And I was at a point, I was sending her a large piece that was the ending, you know, maybe a hundred pages or something like that of the book and uh, sent it off. And I said to my wife, you know, we made an appointment for her to call me. She was going to call me at 10 o'clock, you know, next morning. And uh, I said to Janet, my wife, uh, you know, she is so nasty to me. You know, (laughs) she's awful. So as soon as as soon as the phone rings, I pick it up and she starts yelling at me with this New York (laughs) accent like that. Very loud. And this is wrong. And that's right. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Janet, Janet, a wonderful psychologist. says, Oh, oh, then we'll feel, we'll, you'll deal with that. Look, when she calls up and she starts to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, Joyce, hang on just a second. There's something I want to tell you. And what I want to tell you is I'm feeling a little vulnerable with your reaction to this. Okay. I did exactly what Janet said, right? You know what she did? She said, well, fuck your vulnerability. <laughs> That's great. But, but, but. I'll never forget it. Fuck your own vulnerability, because she, she was right. And she said, we've got work to do. She didn't say, you've got work to do. Yes, yeah, we. have got work to do, and we did it, you know? So, but you got to be a little tough. Yeah. You want to put yourself out there. It's not like, yeah. well, you know. But is it like that anymore? I imagine, like, you sold millions of books. I imagine they just, they don't treat you badly at all, any editor anymore. That's that's old style, you know. I mean, you know, I I I'm so used to it that I know they can, you know, I know what a good a good idea or a good edit is and what isn't. You're very, I mean, in Man's Fourth Best Hospital, you know, we just differed maybe about one paragraph or stuff in terms of what finally got in. Okay. Uh, do you show your wife your Do you show your wife your writing as you go along? Well, uh, I used to actually with the house of God, you know, uh, I would laugh with her. I mean, we were just, she was, she held, she has a great sense of humor. You know, I remember driving her car back to where we both came from in the Hudson Valley to see their parents. And, uh, she was reading and just roaring with laughter and she's got a great sense of humor. So she eggs me on a little bit more. I, it's a problem now, frankly. She's a Buddhist teacher, and um, and I the, with Man's Fourth, I did the usual thing. I would 
show her something, you know, from the first draft, show her more, and she'd have good suggestions and stuff. But she never gets to read the whole book, you know, right. because uh, yeah. because actually she's very much like the Barry in Man's Fourth Best Hospital. Actually. I figured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm delighted to actually bring her into the hospital. The in the House of God, there's only one scene where Barry goes into the hospital. She right. demands to see what this craziness is, right? Yeah. And it's a wonderful scene because uh, the fat man really b- b- uh, bonds with her against Roy and says, you can't act this way, you know, you right. can't act this way. And that actually happened once. I, I write quite close to the bone, actually, you know, both all the books, actually. So was the fat man a single person or or... Or is the fat man you? Or is the fat man a group of different people? Or, or is the fat man the you that you want to be? Well, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know where he, where he came from. <laughs> I really so don't you, know. You, you didn't have a fat man guiding you? I never, never had a fat man guiding me until I started to write the book. Wow. And, uh, but having said that, uh, I was a lot like him in right. what I did. Yeah. And there was an, uh, there, there's a couple of other residents who are a year ahead who are, who are a lot like him, but nobody, nobody, if I'd had a fat man, I wouldn't have had so much trouble. So it's, yeah. it's mostly me, actually, I, that side of me. And then the right. other side of me, you know, I sort of split it. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. Everybody does. I, I trained at uh, downstate, uh, Kings County, downstate in Brooklyn. So, I think um, that's where I caught the virus. Yeah, maybe. I think so, because I did a big talk there early in March. Oh, really? Yeah. At downstate? Yeah, 400 people in. Oh, wow. In I think that's what it I wasn't me. It wasn't from <laughs> me. I've been out of there a long time. But, but I used to tell my, my residents underneath me, I used to say, you have to lie, cheat, and steal <laughs> to take care of your patients. That was my quote. Lie, cheat, and steal to take care of your patients. Good for you. Yeah. What I used to say. Mm-hmm. You're a proto-fat man. Well, when did, I mean, when did you read The House of God, would you say? I think I read it in the 90s, uh, probably the mid-90s. I, I think I was already in med school when I read it, in, yeah. in the mid-90s. You know, and uh, yeah, what was that? Well, I just I can't believe. You know, it just goes to show. You know, I, as I said, I was hated for this book, and uh, I don't know if I finished that description, but like last week, uh, some the Washington Post put out a book part uh, put out a list. Did I tell you this? I don't think I. Did. I no, but I saw it. I read that article. Oh, you emailed that to me. You know, yeah. the most... Uh, well, uh, the 12 novels that changed our lives. Right. Yeah. I mean, how much... It doesn't get any better. You know? No, it's amazing. Yeah. And it really... It's the catch-22 of medicine, you know, yeah, but which is on the list too, right? No. No, it's not on that list. There's another list. Oh. Publishers Weekly, like four or five years ago, did a list of the 10 best satires of all time. Right. And The House of God was number two. Wow. Number one was Don Quixote, which is great, yeah. even though yeah. nobody can read it. <laughs> number three was Catch-22. Wow. So, yeah. What, what I'm amazed at is I, you know, I don't think kids going through training today have that House of God experience, although I could be wrong. But, but I still, at least at Kings County and Downstate, had very much in the 90s, I mean, it was a very similar experience that, that you had really? to some degree. It, it, it really seemed, I was like probably one of the last groups uh, of people going through to have that same kind of experience. Yeah, yeah, I think so. so. But, but, and maybe yeah. we can segue, but they're having the man's fourth hospital experience. Oh my God. That's the experience, that, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. They, they all are. It, it, it's amazing. It, it's... Um, you tell me now about it. Yeah. So how would you put it? So we, you know, I, I mean, you're so right on with man's fourth in terms of, in terms of what's happening today. You know, it's a, it's a computer screen 
you know, you walk on the wards and you see all the nurses are just there entering their data and, and the residents are doing their computer work. And it's, it's so different today. And, and I'm thinking the only way I could get by, you know, even, even now, the only way I get by with my notes, I'm about to, I think I have to hire a medical scribe, you know, this whole new business of scribing, um, especially if we're switching to Epic next week. And it's funny. Our whole group is we're we're having, it's the what's work. that? Epic yeah. No, I know. And, we're, you know, we did the training this week and all of my partners and I and our office manager were, set, were supposed to go live Monday. And we're all sending everybody texts now saying maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe it doesn't, you know, <laughs> everybody has cold feet right now. And I don't know. The truth is the reason why we're switching to that system is because we think we're a private practice group, so we're and we're very affiliated with the hospital, but we kind of always feel like outsiders, and we kind of think that maybe by going on Epic, we'll get that edge of you know everybody sees our name in it and all our referring doctors, the other private guys. But at, at the end of the day, I, I'm not sure if that's going to be true. Um, we're all panicking. Well, yeah, it's a big question, but I certainly I've seen here in Boston with buddies yeah <laughs> um you know all of that about buddies and man's fourth and women's second best hospital you know yeah uh it's all just absolutely true it's the you know the hospitals are not to blame it's the it's the crushing well they are to blame too sometimes but it's yeah. the, they crush private practices now they like with with oh, pedi- yeah. pediatricians it's what what a good friend of mine, uh, Mark Vonnegut, who's Kurt's son, who's a, a nonfiction oh, wow. writer, a wonderful guy. He's a pediatrician. Um, and uh, so I've heard it all from him. And you either have to join this big organization yeah, or they'll, 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 they'll just dry you out. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the problem. Uh, yeah. And it's all an epic, he says, is an absolute nightmare, not just because of how it is. But uh, because you're always having to pay a lot for trainings and upgrades and right. all that stuff, you know, cut to the chase. Um, as Roy says at the beginning of Man's Fourth Best Hospital, uh, and this was me, um, uh, I'm called to write something like that. I have to write uh, about a time when medicine could go one of two ways, either toward more humane care or toward money and screens. Yeah. Money and money yeah and in fact you know the public doesn't know that they no. by and large don't know that because i've asked them you know why do you think your doctor's got his back and stuff and at the end of the book i hope you got to the end of the book i read the whole book good i was uh, sad huh it was sad I, yeah. I was sad yeah me too yeah me too uh in the very beginning of the book you mention it that, that you're mourning the loss died. of all your people yeah yeah I'm glad you picked that up because a lot of people yeah. didn't, but it's dead clear, isn't it? He says, I'm thinking of fats and him dying in the... Right. But you know what? I, I You know, when, when you write a novel, you're not in full control, especially as it goes along. You can't say yeah. this is how... You can't start a novel and say, hey, this is how it ends. Because right. then it's all... Per- so you're with there and it's happening and it's happening. I knew he was going to die. I said he was going to die. I didn't yeah. know how he was going to die. And then I just, you know... I created this thing, which is all about power and money, right? And he, at that time, if you remember, he was on the edge of actually going to maybe become the president of the hospital. He, it was, right. it was, it, there was a chance he was going to buy into this stuff. Yeah. And I just, you know, I won't spoil it. Well, I, you know, I like that. Um, so, again, we're this private practice group, you, you know, trying to do our thing. But I've gotten very involved on my own with the hospital itself, the medical executive committee and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. part of my reason to do it is, well, two reasons is, A, I need to find out more for information so I can see what's going on and how they're going to try to put me out of business, which is what, <laughs> what's probably going to happen. And, and the other thing is, like, like you mentioned in the book too, to see if I could disrupt from within. Although I'm sure I'm going to get eaten and destroyed, just like what pro- probably would have happened to Fats also. 
Yeah. You know, had he done that. Yeah. So th- those are my very. So you're in a private group that's affiliated. Is that it? Yeah. We're a, we're a multi-specialty private surgical group. Um, but we've, you know, I, I did my fellowship here at the hospital in surgical oncology, cancer surgery. And then during my fellowship, I was very involved. And then in the beginning, I was very involved with the academic side of things. And then we kind of went, things became more and more private. But actually, interestingly, lately, we're coming back a little bit towards more teaching. And, and again, I run this pre-med program. Yeah. So I'm an outsider, but an insider. You know, we walk this weird line. And, and like you described, private practice, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I, I um, have, you know, dear friends who are uh, longtime faculty at, uh, at uh, Mass General Hospital, which, you know, has some, some resemblances to Man's Fourth Best Hospital. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have watched over the years of ha- how the whole private, I, I don't want to scare you or anything, but over the, over the, over the years, first of all, the, the real problem that you don't have is that buddies, or, sorry, partners, yeah. you know, when partners, there was no, there's no reason for a partners, you right. know, there's no reason you're inserting a $36 billion thing that does nothing except try. And this was their, this was their, I said it at the beginning of the book, all that's true that uh, partners was created to boost up costs in medicine, basically, because they yeah. were going to get more insurance company, right? Yeah. Insurance money. So yeah. all I'm saying is I have watched, and it's a really sad, it's pretty sad if they just, they squeeze, what happens is they'll start to squeeze you for yeah. various different ways. And Epic is, is one of the ways, actually. Yeah. So Lauren, what we're, you know, I don't know how much Lauren and, and our listeners are understanding is um, the whole the, the whole push is to have this electronic medical record. That that's the goal. And in theory, it's it's brilliant. You know, in, in theory, if you if you it'd be great if the doctors are able to have all their records on the computer, easy yeah, to see, yeah. easy to access, your colleagues can see it. You know, it, in theory, it's beautiful. Unfortunately, the people who built the ones that we all use. I don't think we're built by doctors. I think are built by businessmen. And the whole, the real purpose of all these succeeding electronic medical records is billing. Yeah, that's really all they're about. And and they'll and and the people on the inside will lie to you. They'll say no, no, no. It's not about billing. But at the end of the day, it really mm-hmm. is all about coding and billing and being able to pick up on every little dollar and. Put, like you say, in man's best, check the boxes, check the boxes, click the boxes so that, you know, you can optimize. There are whole departments in hospitals that go through everybody's charts to make sure they're, and, and they review it and they give the doctor's report, hey, you're not checking enough boxes. You know, every few months, you, you're, you got them up your boxes, kind of. Thing. I like the whole thing in the book about sepsis, you know, is it severe <laughs> sepsis or mild sepsis or... It's, it's, it's really, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, this exactly. is, this is the main thing that got me, you know, um, but let me, what I've come to in a lot of, I mean, in the middle of the book, as you know, uh, the fat man gets up and he says, the six rackets of American healthcare follow the money. Yeah. Right? And, and it took me two months to figure out these six things that are interlocking. It's not easy. <laughs> and, um, the interesting thing about the electronic medical record, um, I don't know how much I go into that in the in the book, is that 2008, 2010, it was a very good idea that Obama had. His idea was let's let's make this more, you know, uh, data driven. We have to put the data in, and we have to be able to deliver the data elsewhere. Good, yeah. excellent, yeah. but the for private health insurance industry, got its fingers into it, and every every diagnosis and treatment, every code had a money value, right? Sure. And they're off to the races. And the studies of 
doctor burnout or moral injury, or I call it doctor abuse. You know, the, the, it's an epidemic. It really yeah. is an epidemic. The, 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 the studies are in. Um, it and it is it, it it the only thing of several factors that correlate to why this has happened like this gone so high up in the last twelve years or something like that was it started in two thousand and ten in the electronic medical record so that's the main thing and what my the fat man's solution which happens a little bit in the beginning toward the beginning of the book is. Uh, you got to squeeze the money out of the machines. Yeah. Maybe all of a sudden, they they can't do out outgoing. Outgoing's down. They can't do billing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that is, I think that could very well work. That is, you a surgeon, you like the VA, you a surgeon, you do a append. You don't do appendectomies, but okay, appendectomies. Oh, we do. Yeah. So anyway, so time comes to discharge, right? Appendectomy. I don't know how many clicks it costs. It, you just to make the da- put the data in. It's probably I don't know what a hundred, maybe eighty. I don't know for whatever. Not billing. Just just right. what you did. Right. The code. Yeah. You put that in. You send it to if it's Medicare, if it's Obamacare, uh, some kind of national healthcare system. It's gonna right. happen. It has to right. happen. Look at look at look at uh, the corona. I mean, it has to. Okay. So you got a system. And you do you do one click for your data to send it to like Medicare for what right. it is for an appendectomy, and then you look, you say, oh, does uh, Bergman have uh, private supplemental insurance? And oh yeah, he does. Okay, guess what? We've arranged this. We doctors have stood together, taken our power with nurses and hospitals, and he says, okay, I'll click, and he sends all the data to the insurance company. You want more money? You want to do all of that? Do it on your computers. Don't yeah. mess with ours. Yeah. Do you know what that? I asked doctors. Do you know what it would mean if you didn't have to bill? Be amazing. Screen, it would be a heaven, and you wouldn't be have great. all this pressure gas. Yeah. One thing I I found you didn't really talk at all about the malpractice aspect. You didn't. You didn't. You know, part of you know we my practice pays hundreds of thousands of dollars in malpractice in the course of, our, you know, million in, in the course of the life of our practice. And, and that's a whole other thing that you, yeah. you didn't even necessarily mention that I think. I thought, I thought that, uh, I, that's an error though, because I thought that he, they mentioned tort reform in his plan at the end. It wasn't gone into, cause I couldn't go on to, into everything. Right. Years ago. Yeah. You know, I've given a hundred, you know, graduation speeches at Harvard. Even I gave this speech, you know, very conservative place, really, with the board and all that stuff. And um, I said, I got up there and I said, there are three points to the Shem Healthcare in America plan. This is way back in I don't know how long ago, long time, maybe ten years ago or something like that. They said, number one, there has to be some kind of healthcare, national healthcare, like Medicare, like the uh, VA, that, that has to come. Um, and you can have supplemental insurance if you want. There's that. You have to have free tuition right. for medical school students. And then I ask the audience, free to, would you, how many of you would take the deal that you get free tuition if you gave back a year or two at a place right. you wanted in America. And you mentioned that in man's, you, you mentioned that in man's fourth. Yeah, every, yeah. And then what I always said was tort reform. There has yeah. to be tort reform. That's part of it. You know, yeah. other countries have done this pretty well, you know, it's not like, yeah. but um, I Wait, think. Isn't NYU medical school free now? Now it's free. Did, totally were you, free was that something you helped? Was that because of you? No, 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 no. Uh, I, I have some influence there, but nothing like that. No, uh, it was really interesting. They, what can I say? I don't play well in big institutions. I really yeah. don't, except for NYU. NYU is the best syst- medical system I've ever seen. And huh. here's one of the, and I say it. They the listen to you. They listen, yeah, they do listen. Yeah. But uh, as I say in the book, uh, I think, uh, I'm I, I'm not explicit in it, but what what 
I realized was that it was a very service-oriented place. You know, Harvard is elbowing people out of the way to rise. It's very competitive. They seem to be, especially for Bellevue, they seem to be really interested in providing services. There's a Mm. real good feeling about it. Very different from this to let's do it together. And where did that come from? And like any big institution, it's 47,000 people, right? Uh, The three top guys are all refugees from the House of God. Really? Isn't that amazing? Bob Grossman, who's the dean CEO, is brilliant. He was he was a surgical intern when I was a medical internship there. I didn't oh, know. Him. Uh, yeah. I forgot him. He knew me, but I forgot him. But now you know. But it. But the point is, they were abused, right? Yeah. And they weren't going to abuse other people when they had a chance. And the other thing is, they have a very very wealthy and uh, cooperative board. And uh, the day he got in. The first day he got in, Bob Grossman said, one of my goals, this is 10 years ago now, one of my, one of my goals as president and dean uh, is to have NYU med f- for free, tuition for free. Right. And he got uh, the chairman of the board on it, and it took him 10 minutes, 10, 10 years, yeah. 10 years to get enough money that'll sustain it. And they did it. That's the way, you know. So That's amazing. There are good places. There really are good places. But um, my, yeah, go ahead. My silly theory that I've that I've shared with people and they just laugh at me is one of the ways to help healthcare would be to to just abolish the ability to sue a doctor or sue a hospital. Just oh, yeah. wipe that out and tell doctors you no longer have to pay any sort of malpractice. The doctors will just police themselves and and have their own governing thing to and rather than us taking our my 25 26,000 a year that I'm paying in malpractice every doctor we should just t- tell those doctors keep half and and we'll take the uh, or 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 keep a, a quarter of it we'll take a quarter of it you get to pocket plenty and use that money to pay for everybody else ra- rather than malpractice that'll be the healthcare for everyone that you know something like that Sounds good. We all save money. We, we we pay less, but no, you know the lawyers would never go for that. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't focused on tort reform very much in in my in, for a while. I really did sort of read about it and stuff. But every but as you know, other people of other countries have done this. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing like that. They have yeah. they don't they can't get sued as easily as this, right? Right. I right. mean, and it works. It works. Yeah. I mean. It's not like tort reform, uh, you know, uh, stops abuses. The other thing, we're running out of time, but I I wanted to just, one thing I love about the book, and I'm finding it, it's coming up more, just since I read it in the book, I'm more aware of it, um, is the, the we, you mentioned it too just now, about the we, uh, and being more about the we as opposed to the I. And also just the check-ins, you know, um, I notice with my partners too, when we, when we spend a little bit of time together, whether it's, you know, weekly or a little in the morning or a little at the end of the day, there's that connection just makes working together so much better. It, it really helps. And there's less of a sense of, you know, duking it out and more of a, that team. And I, and I love, it's something I really loved about the book was oh thank um, you yeah bless you bless that's that is the core of what i and as a person and i as a doctor and i as someone who likes to try to help people and and change society for the better it's all about we not i and i owe this really to well a spiritual practice i have a buddhist practice um that has helped me a lot, but also Janet, my wife, the model for Barry. Yeah. She and I, she mostly came up with this new way of looking at healthy uh, growth and development. Yeah. Uh, that is not, the, the criteria isn't I, the criteria is relationships. The measure yeah. of a person's psychological health 
is in the quality of their connections. It's as simple yeah. as that. And that changed my life. And you can, you know, one of the things that you can get out of this book, actually, what you're talking about, I guess you read some people wouldn't know, is that, you know, a lot, you know, women come into the, um, the uh, clinic that the fat man is running and he's been brought in to save man's fourth best hospital. Um, and what he wants to do, because he's rich and famous now, what he wants to do is to have a, a outpatient public clinic to show how to put the human back into medicine, the human yeah. back into medicine. And that was my challenge in writing this book. How can I do that? Yeah. And so what happens, it's, there's a parity, an equality of women and men, finally, by, by the middle of the book. And Roy's long love and mother of his uh, daughter now, Barry, is brought in because she gives this kind of talk to the fat man and says, uh, what makes a good leader? And he says, well, I do this and I do that. And they say, she says, well, where's the we? Yeah. Where's the we? And um, I think the example is actually in the book. So people could learn a lot about that. And, you know, just to go around uh, the table with a check-in, it takes 20 seconds each person. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're, 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 you're there. And, you know, Doctors and, and men in general, actually, think that, you know, well, if I really go into a relationship or into connection, I'll be less myself. Yeah. Janet and I, when we used to talk, do these gender dialogues with people, Janet would say, well, but haven't you learned when you're in a good connection with your wife, you feel more yourself? Right. And this is this is absolutely the core of it. And I'm glad I can at least say it. And that is. Um, the uh, I think I give the example where, say, you go out to lunch with a person, and if it's a good lunch, you, you, maybe you're a doctor, you've come to, gone to lunch, you're going to go back for something that you really don't want to do, right? Yeah. You're feeling tired and down. If it's a good connection at lunch, then in the connecting, five good things happen. Yeah. One is when when you leave. You feel more energy or zest. You feel more understanding of the other person and of yourself. You, you feel more valued by the other person and yourself. And here's the big one. This is the big one. You feel more empowered to take action. Yeah. It isn't so hard to go back there and do what you did. You know what I mean? You get this kind yeah. of lift from a good connection. And then the yeah. other, other one is it's you, you want, you know, let's do it again. But I want to, you know, this goes right to the heart of American and of hierarchical systems and the hospital that you're yeah. in, everybody's in. And that is the usual, uh, the usual measure of a person's power is like, you know, Henry Dam Kissinger, you know, he's a power, he's a powerful man, you know. Yeah. This is a different model because both people probably did not feel powerful when they went into that lunch. Power arises is in good connecting. Yeah. Connection is good for for medicine yeah. and patients yeah. and you. Yeah. Connection yeah. is good for doctors. And that's you know, it's I've we've taught this for a long time, but and women understand it a lot better than men. But you know, there's all this data now. If you have women in a group, it's much more productive and so but I thought that this was a chance for me in a novel. I think it works, it seems real, I'm sure, that you know, it and, and the fat man is floored. Yeah. He never thought about it that way. And he right. says, you got to come in here. you got to teach yeah. us that. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked what I really liked, too, was it, I think it was in the book. It, I don't think it was somewhere else in terms of how to treat the patient. You know, when you come up with the patient treatment plan, you say, we're going to do this. That's right. Right. right? You, you had said that in the book, too, or was that somewhere no, else? No, I think. I, with no. the cancer patient, right? With the cancer patient. Well, that was one. But yeah. I'm pretty sure I put in the book something I lecture, I use in a lecture on about surgeons. I don't know if I put it in there. But, uh, you know, the old-time surgeons, patient would come in and say, I did the test, I'm going to operate on you. Right. The patriarchal system. Right, you did now say that. Uh, I did, you know, then the medium, the thing we are now is I did the tests, 
And I think I'd like, I, I would recommend operation, but you can get a second opinion. Right. right? What if the, the surgeon said, uh, we've done the test, let's talk about what we're gonna do. Right. We've done the test, let us talk what, about what we're gonna do. Right? Yeah, it's and, great. And what does the, pa- I've tried this, what does the patient do in response? Well, I think we should blah, blah, blah. The, yeah. You, if you send it out there and it's sitting there in your office, we, it, it's like a we there and we're joining it. It works every time, you know? Yeah. There's and a safety, there's a comfort and a safety in that. Right. We're in it together, you know? Yeah. It's exactly what's not happening in this country now. Yeah. Know? Actually, you know, it, in, you know, I have a couple of surgeon mentors who have great and bad things about them. But one in particular, I think, was really good at that. He had a lot of flaws, but he was good at that in terms of really making it seem like we're do, we're in this together. And I and I and I I feel I hope I I got learned that from him too. You know that well, I, I you know, took that away. As you know, there was a study, and maybe more now. What's the what's the main criteria for surgeons getting sued by their patients? Did you ever read the, this these papers? There was a, about, you know, what are the determinants of, 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 of surgeons getting sued by patients more often than other surgeons? What it is, is what, what patients say is, why did you sue me? We didn't have right. a relationship. Right. We didn't have a relationship, you know. Right. Right. So. I, unfortunately, I have to go to the ER to see a patient. Isn't that wonderful? Can you um, carry, this, carry this with you? Yeah, exactly. I wish. I am. I really, I, I wish we could continue because I have a zillion things I still want to talk to you about. I wish I could get an autograph of this. Um, hey, we got our book. And uh, good, thank good. you so much for coming on. I would love to continue a dialogue, whether it's it, through our podcast or even I'd love to stay in touch with you. I think uh, you're definitely onto something. Uh, in terms of the we and the, and the, and the humanity in medicine, I think you'll succeed in terms of the epic side and the medical record stuff. I think we're in trouble, though, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, uh, I would love it. If you want to do another podcast, that would be fine. Or I would love it. Yeah, because it's it'd be interesting to take several, a couple of topics, you know, and hear from you and hear from uh, Lauren and hear from me. We would love to have you on again. Like, there's a million things more we want to ask you. You know, and for, in terms of an autograph, you know, because people have been asking me, um, I can I can uh, write an autograph and scan it in on a special kind of paper with a shim uh, emblem and stuff and send it to you and you can stick it in your book if you, uh, if yes. you want. I'd love to do that. Cool. Thank you. You guys are cool. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> so are you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank right. you so much. Thank yes. you. Too. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Me too. Take care. Mutual. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.